I mean, I think it all goes back to your childhood, you know, everything. And so I always kind of think about the things that excited me when I was a child. You know, I'll never forget when I was like going to a new school. I was like six or seven years old. And I just was like all about my outfit. I was like laying it out. And like I had, it was like a Nike shorts and t-shirt. And I had these like Reeboks and I was just like, you know, I was just like excited about the fashion aspect of like what I would be wearing on the first day and the anxiety around that and how you're presented to people, you know, how you present yourself to people. I don't think about it like, oh, the first time I was drawing or something. I, I think about it in the same way now in a lot of ways that I did when I was like six. It was like how I'm presenting myself, my work, whatever to the world. That gets me excited. Timothy Goodman is a New York-based designer whose work is kind of everywhere. If you stayed at an Ace Hotel, eaten at a Chipotle Grill, or read basically any magazine, you've probably seen the endearing hand-drawn Sharpie illustrations that define much of his work. But beyond his drawings, he has co-authored a book revealing intimate details of his relationships, built a website to promote diversity within the creative industry, and taken on Donald Trump. In this episode, we talk to Timothy about his unexpected journey into design that started with Venetian plaster. Any kid draws and stuff when you're, you know. Now, my grandmother's an artist, and so there was a lot of her encouraging me to do stuff like that when I was a kid, but I really hated it. And I don't know if it was like a rebellion, but I wanted to play basketball, and I wanted to, like, get in trouble with my friends. And then later as a teenager, I wanted to, like, smoke weed and hang out with girls and stuff like I wasn't it really didn't hit me until I was 20 years old and I'm like working full-time painting homes with this guy Dave and through that process I realized like oh wow you know there's something in me there's this bug because I would get really excited about the homes and what we were doing and I learned how to faux finish I can make walls look like Venetian plaster and shit like that and so it was through that whole process that I was like wow maybe maybe I should take like night classes for like interior design or something so I started attending this community college that I was going to full-time while I was working full-time for me it was like a lot of my family is pretty blue collar besides my grandparents and you know I come from Cleveland Ohio which is blue-collar town and a lot of toxic masculinity and all that that I was a part of. So I think that, like, took me a while to get in tune with But when I did, it really, I wanted to rebel against that as much as possible in a way. And I think I wanted to, like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds vain to say it, but at the time, you know, I was like, I want to be somebody. Like, I don't want to just be anybody from somewhere. I want to be somebody. I want to, even if I go down dying. You know, I want to figure this out. I want to like try this. I didn't have any money. I didn't kind of come from money. No one could pay for my school, nothing. So it was like, well, what am I going to do? So I'm going to approach this in a pragmatic way. You know, I'm going to take night classes while I work and save money. I was also in all kinds of trouble. I had like a 12 point suspension for my license. I couldn't drive at the time. Like it was like, like I had no, you know, it was just like all kinds of fucked up. And I had some really encouraging teachers at Tri-C, the community college. One of them specifically was very encouraging and um, told me to keep drawing and he don't really, do you really want to be interior design? Like maybe you should just start taking some fundamental drawing classes, sculpture, art history, all these kind of things. And so it was through that that I, you know, I kind of came to 
some sort of realization that I'm going to keep pursuing this more. Even though I was like 23 at the time, by the time well, I was 23, 24, when I moved to New York at SVA and all my friends were graduated and having jobs and they thought I was, they thought I was a loser at that point, even though I was doing something good for myself. So by the time I was like moving to New York to go to SVA as a sophomore, because I had like got all these credits bypassed, I'm treating this like a job. Like this is do or die at this point. It's either I make this happen in New York or I have to move back to Cleveland and paint homes. Like there was no in between for me at the time. And would you say that that early start where you weren't interested in creativity felt like it was being pushed on you compared to what role do you think that played in you as designer later? Like what did that set up for you? A lot of young designers ask me now, like, oh, tell me about a failure, you know, in design and stuff. They always want to, you know, they always want some failure story that they can relate to. We all want that. We need that. We need to understand that someone went through some adversity. Another thing that's interesting about, I think, our industry, too, is something I've always gravitated to is mentors. Young designers always say, oh, you know, where should I work? You know, and I've always said it's not about, like, where you work, but who you want to work for. And I really believe in that. You know, it's like finding those mentors and those people who have the time, the ability to kind of give you something and let you grow and like teach you things and take you under their wing. I think you just have to constantly be around someone who you're learning from. And for me, early on, I had really great mentors. I've always gravitated toward, towards having mentors, though. You know, so it's always been something that I've been looking for to fill some, not a void, but to kind of help shape me. Tell me about a defining mentor moment for you. One of my mentors, Brian Collins, who runs an agency called Collins in New York. Uh, I started working for him in like 2008, 2009 for about two years, pretty much right out of school. I had a little stint in book jackets. There were a couple defining moments. He knew that I was interested in a lot of things, different things. I think he saw that I wanted to, I was kind of doing the illustration thing on the side and I think he thought I had a knack for maybe speaking, public speaking, doing, you know, writing. I was, I had a, like a little blog or whatever. I was trying to like talk about ideas and branding and stuff. And he sat me down and he just said like, listen, like you can do all these things. You know, you have to make the time to do them, but you can do them, you know. And just having someone, especially a boss who might otherwise be telling me not to do these things that's going to take away from the work I should be doing for him. To have someone like that to was encouraging me to pursue just my career and, and my dreams in those ways and not just what I needed to do to, for him on the day-to-day was really important and pivotal for me at the time. And he used to always just say things like, do you want to make work that's pretty or do you want to make work that is somehow provocative or meaningful to people? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, are you making work that is meaningful for yourself and for others? And if so, that's all that counts, you know? This spring and fall, some of the world's top creative minds tell it like it is and explore the deep truths of design at Design Thinkers. Design Thinkers is an annual conference for like-minded people and offers in-depth analysis of trends and best practices in design. On May 29th and 30th in Vancouver and October 24th and 25th in Toronto, join a community of people passionate about creative communications and go deep into the truths of design. For more information, visit www.designthinkers.com.
so, I mean, one thing as a creative person you're always dealing with is that moment of trying to crack the idea. You're up against this. Someone gives you a problem to solve and you bang your head against it. Sometimes yeah. it comes easy. Sometimes it comes hard. I mean, you, really, you could talk to any one of your projects about that moment. But is there anyone in particular that you felt like that real exhilaration that, okay, I've hit this. I'm confident. Like there's no question that the client will or won't like this. This is just right. And mm-hmm. you just got that wind in your sails. Like, mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I think that for me is one of the key things that any creative person is struggling with is how do you sure. break through? Well, you know, I mean, I call my talk, you got to make a lot of stuff to make stuff like yourself, which is a play on a Miles Davis quote. And I really subscribe to that idea. I think it just takes, it's really, I mean, time is the true luxury of all human beings. And I think it's different for everyone. So it's like, well, what, what are you going to do? You know, nothing is possible that time. And so I think it's just about finding the time to try, you know, and to do these things and time happens and you experience more things and you get to a point where you're talent and your confidence and your ability to discuss or sell your work and all these things kind of come to a halt together. I think believing in in the process of that allows you to get to a point where, yeah, you feel confident with it all and you feel like, well, this is what I do and this is who I am and this is what you're getting. I think that the more you do these things, the tighter the threshold is, you know? I think that like, the more you're willing to do these things and talk about these things and put yourself out there, a lot of shit comes down by the wayside. You know, you trim, there's a lot of, you trim off a lot of that fat. So I think that it becomes easier because you're less worried about anything else. You know, I also think the threshold between that and yourself is much closer. So it's more accessible. Could you talk about through the lens of a specific project? Mm -hmm. Like 40 days of dating is a great example of that. Like exposing yourself. Could you talk about that project specifically with relation to this idea of design or creativity as a way to try to get to something that's real? Yeah, I mean, it's just about understanding your own uh, willingness to share your vulnerability, you know? And I think it's a willingness to want to share your personal stories like any great memoir or whatever. Like, I think that why are we doing what we're doing at the end of the day? Anyone, you know, who's listening, like, why are you, you know, working at this company? Why are you, why did you choose design? Why do you, why are you in art school? Why are you, you know, picking that typeface or whatever? Like, at the end of the day, are you thinking about the scale, you know, and the ability that like human beings, non-designers are looking at this work that is ultimately in the world, you know? For me, it just, it changes the way I want to do things, you know, for me personally. So I want to connect to human beings through this stuff. I don't want to make work for designers. I want to make work for just people. Like, I want my friend in Ohio to, like, laugh or feel something or, you know, feel feel an emotion or cry or to want to aspire for something through that. I don't know why, for some reason, as designers, we're so hell-bent on this idea that it has to be a service for, for clients. It is. It's great. It doesn't have to only be that, though. People are threatened by the notion that it could be anything else. Oh, you're, you're, you know, kind of full of yourself. And, oh, you're just, you know, this is, you're just masturbating to your own. I'm just saying that it doesn't have to be so binary, you know. I think designers are just like, we get caught up in, in these labels and in a way of what it has to be. 
would you say, I mean, it seems to me too, that there's also the mechanics of like, I got to get paid. I got to, you know. Of course. We all have to make a living. We choose a profession. I just think that like it gets dangerous to me when it's just like, when we just equate graphic design with like being a dentist or something. It's just like you're you're just a service person, you know. I was a service person. I worked for five years painting homes and hauling buckets of wallpaper glue up steps. For, you know, like I was a laborman making ten dollars an hour. Like I don't even care how bad your job is or whatever. You're still like sitting at your desk drinking coffee, picking typefaces. Something I would have fucking killed for when I was working, you know, in these homes with guys throwing racial slurs. There's nothing wrong with either avenues. I think that like. I have clients and I also make work for myself and you can, maybe you don't want to call that graphic design. Maybe it's just art or it's whatever, you know, I think that that's fine. So as I always like to say, like too, it's like, you can call me, call me a designer. You can call me an illustrator. You can call me whatever. As long as you saw my name on that check, <laughs> but my grandma still calls me an artist. So, you know, what I think I'm struggling with, and I, this is, I really would love to get your perspective on this. is trying to understand what it is to be, what creativity is and for me a big challenge with creativity is that unlike other professions you can't systematize it like you can't mm-hmm. say I'm, i guarantee you if you pay me money i'm gonna give you a genius idea like yeah, creativity yeah, yeah. doesn't work that way no for me it's trying to get to this like what is creativity like it's a naive question yeah and maybe i mean it's blatantly obvious but i find it's a really hard question and so i think that's what this is about like i think for me it's about trying to talk to people who do this yeah, at a yeah. high level sure. and understand you know, what is it about creativity that makes it important? Because I really think it's important. I really do. Yeah, yeah, I, think yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's fundamentally important to the world. You know, again, for me and what I'm trying to do and the work I'm trying to make and what I'm, you know, it just comes back to humanity, you know, and like dealing with the fears and the habits and the narratives that we all go through on a very big level, you know. And so for me, it's just like, how do I try to get in contact with that? more because I know that if I can maybe try to get there, other people will see it or I can maybe present it in a way that it's clear or something. What's the project that you've done that you feel like was like, did it like connected in the most meaningful way in the most direct way? And, and how did that? Happen? I mean, I think the projects that I've done with Jessica, 40 days of dating and 12 kinds of kindness, both in different ways talk. I mean, 40 days of dating, we talked to millions of people, 15 million people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people writing us emails saying, oh my God, your story, or I've dated someone like you, or I've been someone like you, or you, this is what you do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so that was something that was unprecedented at the time. Like I've never done anything like that, you know, and 12 kinds of kindness, we're exploring these things like, you know, me meeting my biological father for the first time, you know, because step five is all about, you know, because we, we created these parameters and these boundaries rules tell me about that so step five of that project is like we had to go and confront someone who's hurt us in the past you know step six was about confronting a fear or an insecurity of yours so i shaved my head because i'm afraid to go bald so some of them were lighthearted. some of them like i said step five i've met my biological father for the first time and kind of documented that experience and it was the most profound experience of my life you know is that design not really but i'm also like using the parameters you know we're also packaging it we're branding it so we're using our tools but like at the end of the day it's just i want to share those stories human connection and it's trying to use your imagination to come up with those things in inventive ways that i think are memorable somehow so how do we use those associations and then just twist them a little bit or you know take those cliches and just twist them and 
make someone think a little differently about it or make someone smile or make someone cry or like touch someone in a different way, you know? Because so, right now you have a lot of your work is also about activism. You know, the uh, the Trump Tower yeah. project was about... People of Craft. People of Craft is about... Yeah, but could you tell me about People of Craft maybe? Yeah, I mean, People of Craft is something that I'm really proud of. I did it with my good friend Amelie Lamont. And she's a black woman and she's very vocal on Twitter about the role, obviously, that race and privilege plays in this industry and the lack of inclusion. And it's something that I've been talking about as well and challenging my community, challenging myself and learning from people like her and other people. And so it's been through those conversations together that we were like, well, you know, we've been talking about this a lot. It was important for us to make something around this. And so it's quite shocking too to me that this doesn't exist, you know, like a directory, a showcase for people of color it was kind of just through that organically that it all happened. And we wanted to get it off the ground. It still has a lot of work that needs to be done right now. It's just just a simple directory of people. The work, you know, you have a link to their website and their Instagram handle or Twitter. We launched with 300 people and we've had 400 people now already that we're, we're adding. It really comes back from me as a white guy, a white cis man in this industry, in this world. You know, I've traveled the world over the last couple of years doing talks and workshops from China to Dubai to LA to Detroit, you name it. And, you know, one of the biggest questions I said, you know, is, is from black and brown students and women is like, you know, how do I get recognized for my work? And one of the biggest questions I hear from like white students is, you know, what opportunity or job should I take next? Those questions are fundamentally different because it's systemic. And so for me, you know, I see myself, I want to know when I'm being asked to speak you have people of color being represented, not just like one token person, but like, is the, you know, are we being inclusive all the way? Because even from a storytelling point of view, like, why do we want to listen to the same stories, the same white guys over and over? There are so many amazing, talented people that could be speaking right now. This is really important to talk about and to challenge people. Um, so so through, I say all that to say is that, you know, People of Craft was just another, another what, what is, thing that came from that. But it's something that's really, really important right now. Especially Absolutely. with everything that's going on in, in our country, you know. Yeah, I mean, we have similar issues here with mm. indigenous peoples that it's sort of, I think, in many ways parallel tracking, but I would say even more underrepresented as an issue, but it's a massive systemic yeah. issue. And one thing that's interesting to me is the question of how a creative mindset can actually become an agent for positive change. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like the creative people, and it doesn't mean you have to be a designer or, or an artist or whatever, it's just you have to have a mindset that you can actually do something about this yeah. and so as a creative person you know one of these things you've done is to make this platform mm -hmm. that is a window for others and a huge part of this is just providing the platform and yeah. the space for people to have conversations on their own terms yeah. how else do you feel you as a creative person can be kind of an active agent for change well, i don't know i don't know what the answer to that is in a in a in a, a concrete way i don't know i think everyone's got their own answer for that you know for me like i said i have a large following i have a platform i have the ability to strike change maybe in different ways and that's just by like opening my damn mouth and challenging other cis white dudes you know and so i think people need to hear it because especially white guys don't listen to anyone else except other white guys and it's been amazing to see you know, even for me, the pushback I'll get from other white people because of this. And I can't imagine. And that's why I like, you know, someone like my friend Amelie, who is so vocal and unapologetic about it. Like, 
when I'm getting it, like I can't imagine what some like what she's getting. You know what I mean? And how risky that is for anyone who's marginalized, who's unapologetic about these social issues and talking about this and challenging the status. They're at such risk because they are either risking their careers and their you know and their livelihoods. It's an it's an important thing. That's why I say you know I think it's just like I got to check myself all the time. And I've learned through my own faults. This isn't to be like pointing fingers at, you know, you're not doing enough here. But it, it's, ta- it's time, you know, it's important. And I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep making mistakes too. But we all need to be doing this in a way that that is organic and that allows a sense of openness with the whole process. I mean, I just think it's about being a human in this world, you know. And now that I'm in a place to be able to talk about these things and use my position of privilege to talk about these things I want to. To find out more about Timothy and his work, visit tgoodman.com and check out his highly entertaining Instagram at Timothy Goodman. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile, and we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD, the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design.